0: We're going through the Gospel of Mark at the moment, if you've been reading along. And this particular bit is about imperfect followers. And a couple of weeks ago, Nigel spoke very, very well indeed about imperfect followers. Our journey from imperfection to perfection. And he highlighted Peter. And through Peter, it reminds us That we are a work in progress. That's what um, Nigel said. And I quite like that. A work in progress. So, in our readings this week, it's been uh, Mark 35 to 629, I think. And I'm not going to go into extreme detail about all the passages we've read, because what, two things might happen. One is I'll go on for too long, and the second is I'll put you to sleep. And that isn't the aim of this talk. So I'm going to focus on a passage that I feel like God's led me to talk about. Um, it just kept, I just kept going back to it again and again as I was reading this. And it's the first passage on our reading section, which is Jesus calms the storm. Now, I'm going to read, first I'm going to read the passage to you, and then I might talk a little bit about things that I think that might relate to us in the here and now. So I'm reading from the New Living Version, not because that is the best version. It's just because with my dyslexia, I find it the easiest one to read. I tried reading the New King James, and I just kept on tripping up, which isn't very nice for anybody. So, uh, so here goes. And the evening came, and Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High winds were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him, shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're going down. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind. Silence and the waves. Be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So let's go through the story. And we need to get some perspective. Obviously, before that, um, Jesus had been preaching on the boat and talking to the crowds. It had been a long day, I assume. And he told the disciples to go across the lake to the other side. And it's the Sea of Galilee, but it's a lake. Yep, that confused me too. <laughs> so Jesus fell asleep. Now, I'm assuming, I don't know if he was at peace or not. That's not what scripture says. But I'm assuming after a long day preaching and talking to these crowds of people, he was tired. So he fell asleep. He had a kip, well-earned on the back of the boat. And then a storm brew up. Now, I just looked into the Sea of Galilee to find out about why these storms come. And it's in, there are sort of hills all around. And the hot wind comes from from the hills onto the cold. And the cold wind comes from the sea, or the, the water, and it brews up a storm. That's how it happens. I'm, I'm just interested in these things. So that was going on. And the disciples were tr- struggling to, you know, take control of this boat. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a storm in a boat? Anybody? Yes, Paul. Paul, where was it? Uh, oh, uh, in, in, in Greek, Greek islands. Yeah, scary. Incredibly scary, <laughs> Okay, so I have not been in a complete storm, but the beginning of a storm. Uh, A little while ago, I did my competent crew, and Ian did his skippers with some good friends, Kathy and Phil, and we went out in the beginnings of a storm. Now, it was out on the Solent, and this uh, course that we were doing, we only had a few days, so the teacher or the tutor, Stuart, he only had, he had to sort of fill in these things and tick all of these things for us to do. And so we needed to use up the time efficiently. So he allowed us to go out in the beginnings of a storm. And we had to put up a storm jib, which is a smaller sail, which allows you to control the boat because the surface area that the wind is going through is smaller and you don't get into a state of peril. And actually, I, didn't, I thought it was pretty good. I quite enjoyed it. But I think we got up to Gale Force 8, was it? Maybe. Um, and then it was time to come home. For various different reasons. It was an expensive yacht. We were novices. And I don't think the insurance stretched that far. So we went back into the marina. And I was kind of a little bit disappointed. Because I was quite enjoying it. Uh, but then when I looked out of the window a bit later and saw that the trees were almost horizontal, I was glad I was in the marina and not out on the water. Anyway, so the uh, sailing boat or the fishing boat that the disciples were in was, is a very different vessel indeed to what uh, Kathy and Phil and myself and Ian were in, lovely yacht, uh, that looked a bit like this. So if I can ask Tim to... Put the pictures up. Okay, so that's what they were in. It's something like that. That's a model. And next to it there uh, is a boat that was at, It's actually nicknamed the Jesus boat. But we don't know if Jesus and his disciples actually uh, sailed in this boat. But it was found in, I think, 1986 when there was a massive drought in the Sea of Galilee. And as the, the water receded... Then all these things were popping up and people found Roman coins. And this is one of the things. It was this particular boat that is dated back to Jesus' time, which I find is quite interesting. The other thing that's interesting is that the boat was made of all kinds of wood. And the archaeologists say that there was probably a lack of wood. So they had to use all kinds whatever they had at their disposal which also I find is interesting. And if you look at the boat, it it looks quite shallow, um, which helps them in shallow waters to do the fishing. So I just find these things are interesting to me, and I thought they might be interesting to you. But the other thing is that if it gets pretty bad weather, you can see that that would be quite easily fill up with water. And that is what was happening in this storm. Um, and it was scary, and it was scary to experience fishermen. So it must have been quite fierce. Meanwhile, Jesus was asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. So the disciples, well, what did they do? They woke up Jesus. Don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus wakes up, and he rebukes the weather. So he says, "Silence, be still to the storm," and it stopped immediately. Not. It's, you know, gradually stopped. It stopped immediately. And then he said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And how did the disciples respond? Well, they were terrified. They were scared in the storm, but they were terrified. Why? Because it suddenly dawns on them that this is no ordinary man. Jesus is ramping things up. He's taking it to another level. Before then, he'd um, he'd healed people. He'd um, he'd uh, he'd healed people. He'd spoken very well and very knowledgeably, and um, he'd also cast out a demon. So they'd w- witnessed him doing all these things and preaching to the multitudes. But now it was quite different. We go into the next chapters. Jesus cast out a legion of demons, not just one, a legion, a, a legion of demons that go into 2,000 pigs, and things didn't end very well for them. They drowned. In the next uh, chapter, we hear about him healing a hemorrhaging woman, woman by just her merely touching his robe. How amazing is that, out of faith? And then um, he raises uh, a girl from the dead. Wow! How amazing is that? So you could say that Jesus is showing off his power. But in ancient Greek texts, there's the word exousia. I love language, so this really interests me. Exousia, which means to exert authority, to have authority and power over something. Jesus is demonstrating his deity. And there's no doubt of who he is. He's demonstrating by using his exousia in all these occasions. But there's one thing in common. He's not actually doing it for himself. He's doing it out of compassion for others. And that's how he operates. And that's my first point. Jesus moves in compassion for us. So let's go back to the story. And I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think the disciples did wrong? Just think about it. I'm not asking you to sort of shout out stuff. What did they do wrong? He told them to get to to the other side of the lake. They're doing that. The storm came. He's asleep. They're desperately trying to sort things out. They can't do it. They're failing miserably. He's still asleep. Are they supposed to not wake him up? Are they supposed to rebuke the weather themselves and make the weather stop? No. No. I don't think it's anything that they did. I think they did the right thing by waking him up. But what did they say? They said, don't you care? So I don't think it's what they did. I think it's what they said that really revealed in their hearts how they were feeling. They didn't think that Jesus cares or cared for them at that point. And I can definitely relate to that sometimes when times are hard and situations are difficult and there seems like there's no positive things going on, I can feel like God doesn't care. And we do feel like that. Whether we admit it to other people or not, there are times where we feel like God doesn't care. I'm just going to tell you something that happened to me this weekend. Well, not to me, to a friend, and I've just found out about it. I just wanted to share with you, because sometimes it looks like everything's going hunky-dory, and actually we need to be honest about where we're at. This friend of mine, I've known her for many years, Um, she's got kids the same age as mine, and this weekend I found out, I knew she was ill, she'd lost a lot of weight, and she has got cancer in her liver, it's now gone to her lymph nodes, and the future's looking quite bleak. And if that wasn't enough, her son was rushed to hospital. They actually thought it was a tumor in his brain. It happens that um, he had a nasty stroke. And it's affecting a lot of his cognitive um, ability. So he can't talk properly at the moment and various things are affected. And so looking at this situation and their son is only 26 which is very unusual for somebody to have a stroke at that age so they're going to have to do all kinds of tests like a lumbar puncture and other kinds of things uh, to find out what the root of the cause is but all of this is going on i found out this on saturday and i just uh, felt a bit deflated to be honest and i thought what must they be thinking well they probably don't think god cares at the moment but feelings, feelings can be wrong. And feelings are, are temporary. We know this truth. God's love endures forever. No matter what we're feeling. Our feelings are temporary, but God's love is forever. And I love how we were singing earlier about God's love being the greatest love of all. And that is something to be thankful for. So sometimes on this passage, and because I've listened to a couple of commentaries about this, I like to know what other people are saying. The takeaway is be at peace and calm even in a crisis. I don't know about you, and and because God is with you. Yeah, I know God's with me, but I'm still going to, rush around like a headless chicken if something's going on. And it doesn't mean that I haven't got faith. Um, But I think for me, it's more like when God seems to be doing nothing, still have faith that he genuinely cares. And my third point is trust in God's good character. God cares for you. He cares about your problems, about your situation, about your friends, about your job, your future. He notices when people rise against you. He sees your burdens. Let's be more aware of that. I just think now, just a moment, of just, you know, just for us to reflect on that. If you want to just close your eyes, or if you just want to get comfortable, in what areas of our lives do we feel forgotten, uncared for, even unworthy of God's love? In which areas of our lives do we feel helpless? Have we allowed ourselves to be untrusting that God cares for us? And this might be for a friend, or it might be for a relative that we hold dear. Sometimes we just don't understand, but we're going to trust in you, God because you care for us. And I'm going to ask Anthea to come up and say a little prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you do care for us. That your care is in every situation. And uh, I just want to say I'm sorry. and, and Maybe we... We've, we all want to say we're sorry for when we, we realize that we lose sight of that and we let our own minds come in and our own solutions and and uh, and maybe that's what you've been showing to me just now, it indicates that I think you don't care. So we're sorry about that. And we thank you that you care, you care, you care. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd sink that that truth deep into us this morning. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah. Lots to think about there. Very good. Thank you.